One thing I did want to uh, just call your attention to today also, we're having our baptism class, and uh, I'm teaching it. It'll be right after church. And so uh, if you've never been baptized before, this might be your day. So uh, the class will be today and next week, and then we'll have the baptism on uh, February 24th. So uh, just wanted to encourage you uh, to do that. Um, I have a feeling that almost every single person uh, in this gym has a wallet or a billfold or a checkbook. Now, this is my wallet, and uh, you may not be able to see it all the way in the back, but uh, it's kind of worn out, and uh, there's some strings that are uh, loose, and uh, it's kind of bad shape, uh, to be honest. Now, I don't want you to feel sorry for me, okay? I don't want you to go out necessarily and buy me a new wallet. Um, In fact, I have a new wallet that sits in the drawer of my nightstand that my wife bought about five years ago, and it just still sits there because I like Old Faithful, you know? Old Faithful has seen me through a lot of things. I've had this wallet for about 15 years. And, and sometimes, you know, with our wallet, it's something in which we just like to hold on really tightly. Or maybe we like to cuddle up to it a little bit, you know. Be like, mm. Or maybe, you know, if we're really into it, maybe we caress our face uh, with our wallet. Because... It is so meaningful to you that it's like a treasure. Now, I'm going to share with you something right now, but it's not going to happen for just a couple of minutes. But in just a couple of minutes, not now, I'm going to ask each one of you to pull out your wallet or your billfold or your checkbook. I'm going to ask you to give it to the person beside you, your neighbor. And then we're going to take a special offering. (laughs) And I want you to give like you've always wanted to give, but you just never quite could do that, okay? Somebody in the first celebration actually started to give it away. I was like, no, 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 it's just a joke, okay? Just messing with you a little bit this morning. But let me ask you, just in the moment, in which I invited you to take your wallet or your billfold or your checkbook and to pass it to the person beside you. Did your anxiety level get up maybe a little bit? Did you feel maybe a little fear hit for a little bit? You see, friends, I think this is the temple of the 21st century. This is where people find their security. This is, people, uh, this is where people find their significance, their self-worth, their strength. You see, we worship here. And the thought of giving this away strikes anxiety in us, and we lose our self-identity Because money that is given away, for many of us, feels like money that is lost. Now, God looks at this through a very different lens. God doesn't look at money that's given away as money that's lost. God looks at it as a seed that is planted. You see... The Bible is very clear that God owns everything. Everything that you see and you know, He owns. And He has some seed to give to you to pay for your bills, to eat with, to buy groceries with. And He also entrusts you with some seed that you had actually planted. Seed to set aside. Seed to 
give away. And God doesn't see money as something that is lost, but something that is planted. Now, some of you might be gardeners. I'm not uh, at all. I don't have a green thumb or any thumb that gardens. But some of you might be gardeners, and maybe in your backyard you have a little plot that you have, and you plant some seed. And let's say, for instance, uh, you took a little corn seed of sweet corn, and uh, you planted it into the ground, and you're not saying goodbye to that seed when you plant it. You're planting something that will actually produce a crop. It's going to produce an ear of sweet corn later this summer that you can just munch and mow on. It will produce more seeds so that you can have a crop in the future. Now this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the subject of generosity. And I want us to unpack a passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which is in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. And it's written by a guy by the name of Paul who actually wrote over half of the New Testament and was considered one of Jesus' closest followers. And he writes about the principle of sowing and reaping. And in verse 6, he writes this. He says, Remember this, whoever saves Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I think we're having technical difficulties, so if you open your uh, little uh, program, the scripture will be right there, okay? You can follow along. Uh, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor, Their righteousness endures forever. Now he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now, Paul presents in this passage a principle that holds true in every area of our lives. That if you sow seed sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow seeds generously, you'll reap generously. And we believe this is true in other areas of our life as well, right? For instance, Let's say that you take a thimble full of seed and you pour it into a friendship. What do you get? An acquaintance, right? That person isn't going to be there with you in the hard times because you've only invested a thimble full and they've only invested that much into you. But let's say, for instance, that you get a big bucket full of seed. And you invest that into a friendship. Well, the Bible actually tells us that if you invest like that, that you won't just have a friend, but you will have a brother or sister who sticks closer to you than anyone you could imagine. We know this is true in marriage, too. Some of you right now who are married, you think that your marriage is so unhappy and you've married the wrong person because of your unhappiness. 
But the fact of the matter is, if we put as much effort after the wedding day as we did before the wedding day, and you invested in that person before, just like you do after, just think what would happen. I mean, think about how you were in love and you treated the person before the wedding day. And if you did that after the wedding day, all of us would have fulfilled marriages. You see, folks, it's true. You reap what you sow. Now, we have faith that you reap what you sow in your marriage. We have faith that you reap what you sow in your friendship. And many of us will spend time in faith, praying to God, asking God to do something, and we really believe as we pray for it that He'll answer that. You have enough faith in God to direct your life and your future and your decisions. Many of you have enough faith in God that you've trusted Him with your eternal destiny. In other words, you're saying, God, I'm trusting you enough that I'm going to make it to heaven because of my relationship with you. We trust Him with our eternal destiny. But for some reason, we have trouble trusting God in this area of our resources. You have trouble trusting God even though He promises that you will reap what you sow. There's a small little book that has been challenging to me uh, called Fields of Gold. It's written by a pastor in Atlanta named Andy Sandling. And one of the things that we've been encouraging people uh, over this year is to be self-feeders. In other words, rather than just coming on Sunday and getting your full tank for the whole week, that you actually self-feed on the Bible, on different books that would grow you. And many of you have taken this to heart, and we give little suggestions in the program of books that you can get, uh, one that you can get for free. And uh, this is one for this month. Because some of you have books that teach you about the Bible. Or you've bought books on worship, or prayer, or serving, or evangelism, or listening to God. But you don't have one book on generosity. And so I highly recommend you, it costs seven bucks to get this book. Now, Andy Stanley states in this book this phrase, and I think it's very powerful. It will come up on the side screen. The bigger obstacle for most people of faith when it comes to practicing the principle of generosity is not greed, but fear. In other words, I don't think people are real greedy and they're like, I want to keep it to myself. They just are fearful to give it away. I think it's true. The thing that keeps us from being willing to plant seeds and resources is the what-if question. Well, what if the recession hits again? What if I lose my job? What if there's a major medical expense? What if I can't buy groceries? (coughs) Excuse me. What if I can't pay my bills. And the what-if questions drive our ability to give of our resources. Now, I... uh, The first church I pastored was in a farming community. There were more hogs than people, and every time you went out, you were around either corn fields or bean fields. Everywhere. And a couple of the uh, farmers pulled me aside and they said, Hey, Chris, we want to show you how we plant seed. And so they went ahead and uh, they took me out and they showed me this big combine and got this planter and it could plant like 12 rows. They took me out there and they said, You can plant some. I'll tell you what, I don't have a picture but I looked pretty hot in suspenders, you know. Um, I really did. 
little green hat, I was good to go. Now, what I learned from these farmers is that they had to get seed from some place. That you're not just born with seed, you've got to go get some seed from some place. And in verse 10 of our passage, it tells us where it comes from. It says this, God supplies seed to the sower. Everything we have comes from God. So why should we be generous? Because we wouldn't have any seed in our life whatsoever if it wasn't for the God who was giving us the seed. And God says, I want you to take some seed and I want you to plant it. I want you to be generous with it. And when you do that, it's not going to be money that it's lost. It's going to produce a harvest. And there is going to be a return on your investment. Now, back in the Bible days, if they wanted to get seed to plant something, they couldn't go to, uh, you know, Menards or Lowe's or something like that and buy a whole bunch of seed. What they'd have to do is, when they had the harvest from the year before, they would hold back some of that seed so that they could plant it for the next year. And... Paul is saying in this passage, those that plant seed will get something back. The farmer who sows seed doesn't lose seed. He gains it. Our text says this in verse 10. God will increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. That is the impact of your life. So the principle is very simple. If you sow generously, you reap generously. And if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Because God is the one who is able to bless you abundantly. Now how do we do this in practical terms? How do you decide how much you should be generous with? Well, verse 7 says this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your, what's it say? Your heart. In your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Where do you decide how much you should give? From your heart. If you remember from last week when uh, I shared a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus said this. Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your what is also? Your heart. heart. There your heart is also. Your heart tells you to love. Your heart tells you to believe. Your heart is a reflection of your faith in God. And when it comes right down to it, folks, it's all a matter of the heart. So Paul says this in verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart. You don't wait until the offering bag is passed by you and then you decide. You don't give a a spur-of-the-moment kind of decision, although sometimes God will challenge us to do something in the spur of the moment. But God says, I want you to look at your bucket of seed that I've given to you And say, God, here is the seed that you blessed me with, and I'm asking you to show me in my heart what amount of the seed or what portion or percentage of the seed do you want me to plant, that you want me to give away. And God, I'll do it in good times, and God, I'll do it in bad times, and I will be faithful because I will trust you. Now, what are the keys to a generosity plan? Uh, Everyone wants to be generous. People aren't sitting there going, I don't don't want to be generous. So how do we have a heart of generosity? Well, Andy Stanley in his book on four key uh, 
uh, gives four keys, and they all start with the letter P. And here's the first one. It is priority generosity. Priority generosity. (coughs) The text says this in verse 7. Each of you should give. It ought to be a priority in your life. It ought to come first in your life. Now, you can give, folks, one of two ways. You can pay all of your bills, whatever they are, and then give God your leftovers. Or, you can give God the first portion of the seed that you've been given, and then you can trust Him to live on the leftovers. Now, folks, I know how this works because it happens in my house all the time. My wife, Jennifer, will invite some company over to our house. And when we invite our friends or family or some neighbors over, we eat at the nice table. Like, we don't eat at the table that we always eat at, but we eat at the table that only gets used when company comes over. And when we sit there, my wife always makes a fantastic meal. And we eat like a royal family. And afterwards, after everyone's finished, we take all the leftovers and we put it in the refrigerator. And then the next night, when the Bunch family eats... We don't eat at the nice table. We eat at the junky table. And we eat the leftovers that are there. Now, never once in the history of our family, and we've been married for 18 years, has my wife ever said, Hey guys, tomorrow we're having company. But today, I'm going to make you a gourmet meal. And we're going to eat like we've never eaten before. And then, when the company comes tomorrow, we're going to give them our leftovers. And I have a feeling that has never happened in your house either. So I can just imagine how God must feel when we don't give Him the first of what we have, but we just give Him our leftovers. The Bible says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. In the Old Testament, there was a principle called first fruits giving. And it's a trust funding mentality That says this, God, I will trust you with the first seeds of the harvest, and then I will trust you to meet the rest of my needs. Now, the way that this is practiced in the bunch household is that every couple of weeks or once a month, whenever the bills kind of come, when they come, the very first check that we write is to honor God. No matter what else happens, the very first check that we write is to honor Him. And we've decided what we're going to give to honor God before we write the check. We've made a decision in advance, and so it's the first thing that goes. Now, for some of you, you've given up on checks. You're like, checks? What's a check? And you're technologically so much more advanced than this old 41-year-old, okay? And so uh, one of the things that is in your program is an automatic withdrawal form that looks like this that you can just sign up and it can be withdrawn. Now, I want you to know, I had to fight our uh, finance team to ever do this. And this is the reason why. I'm not about money. I don't want to be about trying to get people to do something. But when we talk to our partners, the members of the church, almost unanimously, they said, no, we want this 
Because this is the way we pay our bills now. And so we want to be able to do it in this way. And so you can fill this out, you can send it in, and uh, it'll be taken care of. Or, if you're like me, just write the first check. And you can decide in advance how you're going to honor God. Now, the second key is a P, and it is percentage generosity. So there's priority generosity, and secondly, percentage generosity. In the Old Testament, God commanded the people of Israel to give 10% of their income, which is called a tithe, to Him so that they would learn the constant reminder that everything comes from God. And it's a reminder every time that you give is, this isn't mine, this is God's, I give it back to Him. It's a gift, everything that I have is from God. And He deserves the first and my best. Now, in the New Testament, it got away from that legalism of saying 10%, and it just gave grace. And Jesus asked every single follower that would be completely devoted to him that they would say not just 10%, but there's 100%. And God, if you want anything, I'm not going to hold tightly to it because you didn't hold tightly as you went to the cross. So I freely give it. If you ask, I will. But almost every sincere follower of Jesus Christ that I've ever met in my life believes that the tithe or the 10% is a good starting place. Now, honestly, I don't know where God came up with 10%. But I did some research this week, and the number 10 is used throughout the Bible in multiple different uh, ways. And every single time the number 10 is used, it is a form of testing. It represents testing. The number 10 is a test. For instance, how many plagues were sent on Egypt to test Pharaoh? Okay, maybe we'll get better on the next one. Um, How many commandments are we given to test our obedience? How many times did God test Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness? And of course we know Jesus had how many disciples? Not ten, okay? Not ten. I'm testing you now. It was twelve, right? All of you are like, ten, man. Ten, and then, oh, man, you know, I'm testing you, okay? The number ten is associated all throughout the Bible, with testing. Look at this verse from Deuteronomy chapter 14, which is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. It says this, The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Now, I've shared this with some of you, but I'll be honest again. When my wife Jennifer and I first got married, Uh, and I shared this last week, we got in some big credit card debt. I mean, I shared last week, if you remember, I thought when they sent us the card, you just kept using the card until they sent the next card four years, and then you use that one, you know. And we got in some big credit card debt, and as we got ready to give, and I'm a pastor at a church, and we were uh, paying for two apartments because she lived one place and I lived another our first year of marriage, we just, we were like, there's no way we can do this. And so we made a commitment in 1995 that even though we were only making $250 a week and we were living in this rural community and we owed more than we could pay, we decided in 1995 that we would start with 5% of our giving and then each year we would increase it by 1% until we got to the tithe. My dad had kind of helped me to understand, hey, start somewhere and then give. And so we did that. And I've shared this with people, and some people have taken this to heart. And I'll tell you one of the joys that I have is some of you who started here eight years ago when we kind of started this whole thing, some of you were like bought in. And maybe you started with 2%. 
But you've been faithful and you made a commitment. Every year you would do it. And now you're at a level of a tithe. And I know because many of you have come up and told me. You would say, you know what? That has been some of the best advice I've ever had in my life on knowing how not to allow money to control me and knowing how to give to God. Because it comes straight from his word that we should be at that place. But let me just say this, folks. Tithing is not the ceiling of our giving. Tithing is like the lobby first ground floor where we come and we all make a commitment to them. Here's the third key to generosity. Progressive generosity. Progressive generosity. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, if we really understand that what is in our wallet is really seed, and the more that we sow the more that we reap, I think it's completely reasonable that as you mature in your faith with God and in your relationship with Jesus, that as you move toward a totally surrendered life, it should be just a natural next step that you actually get beyond 10%. Because you've learned that the more that you sow, the more that you reap. Now, as I shared last week, I was raised in a wonderful family in which generosity was just a part of who we were. And my parents had always been tithers and above the tithe people who gave generously. And after Jen and I kind of got to our 10% level of giving, we prayed and we felt like, well, where will God stretch us in this area of finances, if we just say, hey, we've made that place, and we actually made a commitment at that point that we would just keep increasing by 1% each year. And since that point that we hit 10%, we've continued to increase our giving by 1% each year. Now, let me share something with you. Just before January 1st, we found out that my wife's salary is going to be decreased by 11% for the rest of the time that she works. So it's never going to be more than 11% less of where she's at right now. Now, when this hit and we started to think about what we were going to give this year, my reaction was like this. Hey, God! I got two kids now. We've been doing 1% increase this entire time. And I think it's time for us to just level this thing out. And I even had some good Christian friends that were coming up to me and they're like, dude, we know you give more than that. Just, Just stop. And so my wife said, well, why don't we ask God what he would say? See, because she's a lot more faithful than I am. I was ready to cut and run, you know what I mean? Let's start the backslide, you know? And she said, well, let's pray. And she said, has God been faithful every single year that we've increased our giving by 1%? And I said, yeah, he's been more than faithful. And she said, just because our circumstances change with my income, do you think he won't continue to be faithful? I don't like that woman sometimes. That's good. Um, So folks, what I'm saying is this. I understand the temptation not to give. But when you weigh all that God has given to you, how can you not progressively give? Jesus put it this way. He said, give as freely as you have received. Each year that I have increased my giving... I'll tell you, the reason that I've done it is not because I feel obligated. I don't feel like God's beating me over the head and saying, hey, I want you to give more money. I don't do it because I'm a pastor. I don't do it because my wife's a physician. I do it because of my obedience to God and because of a blood-stained cross. Folks, I have received so much as 
maybe the worst sinner in this entire gym. I have received so much from him going to a cross for me that I could never outgive what he has freely given to me. And this is what I found. The more that we become generous and we give, the more God has my heart. You see, the more that he has my heart as I give and plant seeds. Now, folks, this is what I've learned in this area of financial giving. God has a much bigger shovel than I do. And the more that I give, the more he gives back. And I just wonder for some of you who you've trusted God and you've tested him at that 10% kind of uh, tithe level that maybe God is calling you to move beyond that to progressive generosity where you will be tested to trust God a little bit more and take some risk. Here's the fourth biblical principle on generosity that Andy Stanley gives to us. It's called prompted generosity. Prompted generosity. From time to time, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, may just prompt you to give something or to bless a ministry or someone's life. 1 John 3.17 says this, If any one of you has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? My wife Jennifer has been a, uh, a huge uh, proponent and just a huge person of wanting to spread global missions. She's all about wanting to be able to make sure that people in third world countries are being taken care of. And so when we started having children, she said, I want us to sponsor a child from a third world country. And so now, uh, they'll have some pictures. This is Jacques from Haiti, and he's one that we sponsor. And uh, the next one uh, is uh, Manishiwa. She's from Rwanda, and that's one that we sponsor. This is Guadalupe from Mexico, and she's one that we sponsor. And this is Jesus, another child uh, that we sponsor. And for several years, uh, we have sponsored these kids because we have been prompted to care for those in third world countries who won't have opportunities like our kids will. Well, my heart, a few years ago, got prompted to actually start being generous with some kids in Muncie who would struggle financially with some things. And so uh, over the past several years, uh, Invest in Youth, which is a program here at the Y that provides uh, kids who are poverty-stricken with an opportunity to come in and to use the, the facilities of the Y for free or at a very reduced rate. And so we sponsor uh, some of these kids to do that. Now, this past year, my wife Jennifer and I went to Kenya, and while we were there, we were prompted again uh, to uh, think about how we could be more generous because we know when we sow, we reap. And so... Uh, this missionary family, Dave and Jennifer Bell, and uh, Ethan and Selah, who they've adopted, uh, are people who we sponsor now. And the, the church as a whole has come, and many of you have been generous in being able uh, to care uh, for them. And this stretches us, but the thing that I love about it is that it's not money, but it's seed. And the passage in 2 Corinthians says that this principle is at work. And it's this. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow generously, you reap generously. Now, the one thing that God may prompt you to do may not be the same thing he's prompted me. Maybe for some of you, you look at Habitat for Humanity and you're like, oh man, I want to be able to give for that. Or a homeless shelter. Or the environment or a friend, or a co-worker, or someone who's struggling. I just saw this happen this week in our own small group. 
On Monday night, our small group was meeting. We got to the end of the small group, and uh, someone was sharing. Uh, one of their concerns were, was their finances and that their husband uh, was not quite getting all the work through the week. And so what amazed me was as I got ready to walk out of the room, there were these people in our small group who were writing checks, who were saying, hey, I'm going to get a gift card. I'm going to do something. And on Friday, I got this email from this couple, and this is what they said. I just wanted to write and say thank you to the small group for the generosity they showed us. Words cannot express the love and support we have felt in this group. Again and again, we are reminded we are exactly where we're supposed to be. Just to give you an update, my husband worked every day this week, which is a huge blessing. We are doing our best to see where we can trim fat further and be good stewards with the gifts and blessings provided for us. And folks, that right there, that's just the result in that moment of prompted generosity. Now, I don't know what God might be laying upon your heart to give above and beyond what you've decided to give, but if He does, you obey so that when you give generously, you reap generously. God says, when you reach out in this level of prompted giving, I will bless your life and pour favor into your life. Now, I want you to know, uh, if you're new with us and you're here for the first time, we only talk about money once, uh, once a year, usually about two Sundays. You just pick the Sunday to come. Now, I want you to know also that one of the things we really believe here at the JAR is for us to be very transparent and honest. And I think that you've known me long enough over the years that I have tried to be as transparent and honest with everything in my life. I have admitted my struggles. I've admitted my failures, my temptations, my fears. I've shared with you the times in which I've been at my deepest valleys and the times in which I've been at my mountaintop. You've seen me become a father of uh, two beautiful little girls and how special uh, my wife Jennifer is to me. And obviously, you've learned in the midst of that that she can't keep her hands off of me. (laughs) And so, I'm just committed, folks, to being as transparent about this stuff as I can. And I was really... Concerned as I was preparing everything, because it's hard for me to teach on money too, but it, it's something Jesus talks about more than any other subject in the kingdom of God. And um, as we were, as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know, I need to be transparent though and honest with you in the ways in which I've seen God move in my life. And Jennifer and I, when, and some of you know this story, Jennifer and I, when we first uh, moved here to Muncie, we bought a house. We lived six years in an apartment. And when we moved here, we found a house that was reasonable. It was in our price range. And uh, we could afford everything. And, and we went ahead. We put an offer on it. The offer was accepted. And then the realtor sent us this form. And there was this little uh, line item that said closing cost. We had not quite figured out the closing cost. And it was $1,500. And so, me being as spiritual as I am, I said, let's just stop tithing for a little while. We'll take that money and we'll pay our closing costs and we'll get God back. And my wife, who is so faithful, said, no, 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 we're not doing that. And we waited and we waited and we waited. And two weeks before the closing date, we were just going to have to let the house go. Out of the blue, we get a card from some friends of ours who were friends of my parents. She had just lost her husband to heart disease a few months before that. And she had sent us a card and she said, I was just thinking of you guys and thought you could use this. And we opened up that check and it was exactly $1,500. When my daughter Jordan was born, 
I was like, okay, God, I've got a kid now. It's time this 1% stuff decreases. We're just going to stop. And, of course, my wife, who is uh, very uh, faithful, said, no, we're not doing that. We've decided to do this 1%. We're going to do it. And two months after Jordan was born, we received a bonus from her job that was totally out of the blue, that meant more than what the increase we would give. My daughter Shiloh, when she was born, I'm like, okay, now we got two kids. Now surely we can stop. And my wife said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And my uncle died in February of that year, and he left in his estate more than enough money to meet the financial call that God had placed upon our life. And I've been amazed at the investments that we've made and people who help us with our money, that when things are really bad, somehow, I don't know how it happens, but the investments work in amazing ways. Now, some of you might be saying right there, or you might be saying right now, Chris, you lucky dog. It's like you are always where, you know, at the right place at the right time. Must be that pastor thing, you know. Maybe. But Jen and I, to the essence of our soul, we believe in this principle, folks, that the more that you sow, the more that you reap. That the principles of sowing and reaping happens. It's just what God does. And we found this over and over again in our lives. Look at this verse in, uh, in look at this verse in, look at verse 11. Thank you. It says this. You will be made rich in every way so that you can go out and have a wild time and do whatever you want. Is that what it says? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And that's just been what my experience has been. The more we've sown, the more we've reaped. And the more God has enabled us to be even more generous, and he just keeps on blessing. But ultimately, folks, the purpose of sowing and reaping is not just to, is to express our thanks and gratitude to God. That's what it means. And so Paul closes this entire uh, chapter by giving us motivation for generosity. Like, if you don't need any other motivation, here it is. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God gave us the most generous gift ever in the history of the world when he gave us his one and only son. And every single time we give of ourselves, it's like a thank you note that we're giving to God saying, thank you God for being loving enough that you gave your one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but you would actually have life everlasting. You know, sooner or later, folks, the buck stops with you and you have to decide if you're going to be a seed planter or not. And for many of you, you've heard the teachings, you've read the verses, you've heard the stories, but at some point, you have to make the decision yourself on whether or not you're going to plant some seed. Now, why is the jar here today? Because eight years ago, a small group of people met in a house with six people, and they said, we care so much for people who are disconnected from God that we are going to plant some seeds, and they started in a home. Why are there two celebrations now and about 300 people that are attending? Because people caught a hold of the vision of JAR 2.0 and said, we're going to plant some seeds. Why have we touched the lives of thousands and thousands of people in Mexico and Kenya and Biloxi and Appalachia and Joplin? Because people said, we're going to plant some seeds. Now, friends, sooner or later, you've got to decide, am I going to make it a priority in my life? Am I going to plant proportionally in my life? Am I going to give progressively as God gives me the ability? 
And am I going to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Friends, just imagine what could happen if we all just planted crazy amounts of seeds into people's lives and the number of lives that could be changed. Let's stand for closing prayer. I'd invite our prayer team to come up. And if you'd like prayer for anything, uh, we're here to pray for you. And uh, so I'll ask them to come up now. Let's pray. (coughs) Excuse me. Pray for that, too. Oh, God, you know how hard it was for me to give this teaching today. But God, I'm glad that you gave me the, the strength, the energy to, to try to do the best that I knew how of how to create all of us to increase our level of generosity, including me. And God, I thank you for the way that you are able to meet everyone's needs. Thanks for being so faithful in my life. Thanks for providing even more than what I need in my life. Thanks for proving faithful when I put you to the test. And I know there are many people in this gym who have put you to the test and you have been faithful. And I pray for those who have not yet quite taken those steps of faith, of making seed planting a priority. Help us to understand, God, that resources given away is not money lost, but is seed planted. And I pray that you would grow us as trust-funding people. Grow trust-funding hearts. And God, I really do pray that there would be a new era of generosity that would grip our hearts and that you would be able to use us to restore and redeem the brokenness in our community. And I ask this, God, for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. If you're here for the first time, please go to the guest connections. We have a gift for you. We'd love to give to you. Have a great week, everyone. Know you're loved in this place.